we are <laughs> we are going to read from Isaiah chapter nine. We've come to the end of First Peter for this year, uh, and we're going to be spending our, our Christmas series in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, um, and we're going to read the first seven verses this morning of Isaiah chapter nine, and it's entitled "For to us a child is born." From verse one. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in the battle tumult, and every garment rolled with blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. Please stand with me just for a second longer as we pray. Father, thank you for all that we've shared in already this morning. Thank you for the great joy of this season as we approach Christmas now. And would you help us as we begin today to look together at Christmas through the lens of Isaiah chapter 9? Would you come by the power of your Holy Spirit, give to all of us in this building, all of us watching online, great enablement to encounter you, to hear your voice, that you would be our wonderful counselor this Christmas. We ask it for the glory of your name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone afresh. It's great to see you today and great if you're uh, watching online. What a joy to be together. I think the snow has helped. Uh, it's maybe not warmed us up, but it has made us feel increasingly uh, festive at this time of year. We had a wonderful day yesterday. Uh, my first opportunity really to be at Messy Church and what a fantastic time we had. It is a remarkable work and we want to thank the Lord for that, for the team and for the impact that is being made. And it's great just to watch the children, isn't it? And the phrase that was in my mind, it's a kind of well-known phrase at this time of year, childlike wonder. Just that sense of childlike wonder. It's a season for them of decorations and parties and holidays and sweets and presents. It's just everything that we love. And I guess as adults, we can all remember the excitement uh, of Christmas time. I guess it's a sad reality that the childhood wonder is locked in childhood. 
And as we get a little bit older, that begins to disappear like, like thawing snow. We have responsibilities at Christmas. We have sometimes pressures, sometimes pain associated with the Christmas season to the point that I know people who would check out at the beginning of December and pick it up again at the beginning of January when it was all past rather than have to go through the whole thing. Well, our aim for these five Sundays running right through now to the end of December is that by a variety of means we would discover afresh at least the adult equivalent of childlike wonder. And it should be possible to do that, you know, because the historic truth around which Christmas is built is a matter of staggering wonder. As, as a, a staff team, we were talking and praying about it this week and looking forward to it, and we were reminding each other that we don't need to find a fresh angle. I remember as a younger pastor spending years trying to find something fresh to say. We don't need to try and come up with something that, is, that nobody's ever thought about before. It's highly improbable that would happen. All we need to do is see what is really here in the Word of God. And that will bring to us the wonder of Christmas. Was Andy Williams who first came up with that song, it's the most wonderful time of the year? Well, you could take or leave it. You, maybe some years, yes, maybe some years, no. But I hope and pray that this year it will be true that arising out of what we see in the Word of God, there will be a fresh sense of wonder by the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And to help us experience that, we're uh, going back to what was written announcing the coming of the Lord Jesus 750 years before his birth. We've got a four-part mini-series in the titles given by Isaiah in chapter 9, verse 6, fulfilled uniquely by the Lord Jesus. And if I can persuade you to track with us for these four Sunday mornings in the run-up to it, uh, run-up to Christmas Eve, if, if you were willing to say, yeah, I think I'll give that a go, I'll, I'll tune in for a while, I think if I were you, I would want to know a little bit about, well, what do we, why do we go to Isaiah? What has Isaiah got to do with this? If he's 750 years before Jesus, what is this going to do with our lives today? And strangely, our series in First Peter that we've suspended for the moment really helps us as we go back to the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah this morning. You may remember in 1 Peter 1, we were told by Peter how the prophets of the Old Testament experienced the spirit of the Lord Jesus, whose birthday was about, we're about to celebrate. They experienced his spirit at work in them, enabling them to write about the coming of the Messiah. They were given key data about the Messiah. But Peter also told us how they longed to know who this person would be and when this person would come. So they didn't have a full picture of the things that the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing to when he spoke about these realities. And so one of the joys for us this Christmas, in turning back to Isaiah 9, is the fresh realization, as Peter wrote, that it was revealed to Isaiah and his Old Testament prophet colleagues, it was revealed to them, says Peter, that they were not serving themselves, but you. Isn't that amazing? In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which you remember even angels 
long to look. That is pretty wonderful. We understand more than Isaiah. So as we flick open at Isaiah 9 this morning, and if you've closed your Bible again, please open it again there or on your device. We might not be terribly familiar with Isaiah. We might not be terribly familiar with his message. We may find it a little bit confusing in places, and I would confess to that. But it's good to know he wrote for us. He served us. And therefore, as I this morning and, and, and others are going to be preaching through this series by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to hear the good news this Christmas. Each of these four titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, unlocks thrilling aspects of the gift that God the Father gave us in God the Son. This morning we're going to come to the first of these, but rather than just pluck that phrase, wonderful counselor, from its moorings, let's just take a moment as we settle in to sit where Isaiah sat, to try and get an understanding perhaps a little bit of his context. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty convinced the Christmas lights in our homes are going up earlier and earlier every year. I'm all for that. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, having just moved into Hamilton in the last couple of weeks, Meg and I are amazed at some of the exterior illuminations of some of our neighbours. I think there's a bit of a competition going on at our street. It's like the National Lampoon's uh, Christmas vacation, but it's absolutely amazing. We love it. I think they're absolutely fantastic. And I think we all love the lights in the midst of the darkness of winter. But let me say this, that if we get ready for Christmas this year, amidst the fun and the excitement of that. But if there are times when it feels like such a short moment of light amidst the long winter months, the long months of darkness, if it feels like such a, a, a welcome but brief season of celebration that soon resorts to misery as we wait in the credit card bills hitting the mat in January, then I have great news for you. And if you're confronted this Christmas by some of the harsh realities of life and death, if you don't know where to turn, and I don't say this glibly, according to what we're going to discover here, I've got great news for you. And it's found in Isaiah chapter 9. And what makes Isaiah 9 so wonderful is that this light that came in the person ultimately of the Lord Jesus came in the context of terrible darkness. So notice with me, first of all, this morning, first of three things that we're going to look at today. Uh, maybe, Steph, you would advance that for me. We're just going to look at the first of three things, which is his birth expected. His birth expected. Think about the moment God chose to announce the birth of his son. The context of Isaiah 9 is cold, dark, comfortless. Zebulun and Naphtali. The northern tribes of Israel, mentioned in verse 1, they'd already been plundered by the Assyrians. Their homes had been flattened. The people of these lands had been taken captive, deployed as slaves hundreds of miles from home. All that misery had come upon them because they had rejected the Lord. It wasn't just a time of national darkness. It was a time of terrible spiritual darkness in Israel and Judah. Derek Thomas in his commentary describes this spiritual darkness as almost complete. It was almost pitch black in terms of the darkness. 
Isaiah has already referred to a catalog of gloom. That's the word he picks up there in verse 1. He's recorded among those who were meant to be the Lord's people some horrible characteristics. Chapter 2, he talks about superstitions. Again, materialism, chapter 2 and chapter 5. Idolatry, chapter 2. Arrogance, chapter 2. Lack of good leadership, chapter 3. Social disintegration, chapter 3. Sensuality, just giving rise and, and, and giving free expression to what we feel we want to do without any consideration, chapter 3. Alcoholism, chapter 5. That's the setting for chapter 9. It was an aggressively dark time nationally and spiritually. Israel and Judah were spinning out of control. And some of these things that I've mentioned there, they really have a contemporary ring, ring to them, don't they? There are major similarities between what millions of people experience around the world today and the kind of thing that Judah and Israel were experiencing 750 years before Jesus came. And the reason I draw your attention to this grim reality is that this was the context into which the light came. And that's why I said about if, you've, if, if you're facing the harsh realities, if you're facing real darkness, there is, there is still potential for Christmas to be filled with wonder because the, the light of the Lord Jesus, the light of his gospel comes into the darkest experiences of human life. I wonder, did you notice as Jonathan read three times the word for appears. You see it right at the beginning of verse 4, verse 5, and verse 6. As Isaiah builds the reasons for the light in the darkness and the increased joy in the nation. He says there in verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. Uh, he describes in verse 3, multiplied, a multiplied nation increased in joy. They were celebrating like they did at the time of the successful harvest or when they divided the spoil after a successful war, something that they hadn't been familiar with for a long time. And Isaiah then goes on to build the reasons, the causal reasons behind this light, this joy. So first of all, verse 4, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Now, we might not understand all of that or we might not get all the picture of that, but it's not difficult to imagine the relief of crushing weight being lifted from someone's back. The reference there at the end of verse 4 to the day of Midian takes us back, you may remember, Judges Chapter 6, 7, and 8, we have the story of Gideon. And you may, you may remember the amazing story of how Gideon takes his much-depleted army, highly unimpressive, reduced deliberately by God. He takes them and they launch a surprise attack on the massive, oppressive Midianite army and actually routed them and sent them packing. And just imagine the relief of that the night before battle for Gideon and his small troop of men. And it's precisely the same kind of massive relief for God's people that is in view here in verse 4. There's been a stunningly surprising breakthrough that has lifted the unbearable weight of oppression from the shoulders of Isaiah's countrymen. 
I'm so aware, friends. It may not be, as some people in the world know, physical oppression, military oppression. As we think of what is happening in the war-torn parts of our world today and often as we pray for them. But even in other respects, I'm so aware that many of us are carrying heavy burdens. And stresses and pressures of life that are non-physical, there's not an actual physical weight that you could put them on the scale and it would register anything. Nonetheless, they can actually have the effect as though we are carrying a weight. They can actually cause us to develop a posture that makes it look as though we are bowed down, our head slope, our shoulders slope forward. And it's not to do with a physical burden. It's to do with some other pressure in our lives. But here is Isaiah speaking of light in the darkness. Joy at the harvest time. Or when victorious in battle as the crushing weight is lifted. The yoke across the shoulders. The rod of the enemy is broken. Here is the promises. The promise of burdens being lifted that no one else could ever take from our shoulders. And in the context, the ultimate crusher of people isn't just all the difficulties and snags and pressures of life. These things are massive, but the ultimate people crusher is the weight of our sin that we bear, is the pain of our dislocation from God. And that's the very thing that the Lord Jesus promised here has come to lift. But in this case, in verse 4, it's not the boldness of a tiny army as it was in the day of Gideon. It's the birth of a tiny, tiny baby that will lift the burden and break the oppressor. And one day that baby would grow up and as a man, he would have compassion in a crowd of people and say to them in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I'll take the yoke that you're bearing. I'll lift that from off of your neck and shoulders. And take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's really significant. Learn from me. He's going to counsel the burdens off our shoulders. He invites us this Christmas, will you learn from me? Will you hear my word? Will you encounter me in these scriptures of truth? For I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So there's the first four that explains the joy and the light. The second is in verse Five for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. It's difficult to know for certain whether Isaiah has in mind here the provisions that every nation has to make for war. What is it in our country? One or two percent goes in the defense budget of GDP. Just think here of the picture, boots and garments for every soldier. How many must there be? across the face of the earth. How many boots for military use must there be? Countless, countless millions over all the centuries. Think of all the garments. Is that what Isaiah is referring to? Or is he thinking about the horrendous mementos of war? 
Some of you maybe had grandparents or great-grandparents who had some part of their own military kit that they always kept. Granda's old boots or a piece of enemy uniform that he picked up in the field and kept as a memento of these dark times. Well, either way, the point is that it's all going to be destroyed. It will be thrown onto the fire that celebrates the light, the bonfires of rejoicing because war is over and is not going to be repeated and it not, doesn't need to be remembered anymore. That's the picture of verse 5. That's why this light had dawned. That's why this joy had increased. And that brings us to the third four that we've already pointed to. Four, verse 6. To us a child is born. To us, a son is given. So do you see how the light in the dark and the joy dispelling the despair builds up to the announcement of an expected birth? It's easy, isn't it, to get sentimental about the baby in the manger. But let's remind ourselves, this is why he was born. This is why he came. This is what he accomplishes for those who put their trust in him. Isaiah has already made an incredible, amazing prophecy of the light in the darkness. Chapter 7, verse 14. You'll know it well. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. You shall call his name God with us. And now in chapter 9, two chapters later, he unpacks more of the significance of this promised one. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. He's going to lift burdens from the shoulders of those who look to him as their counselor. But the weight of the government of the universe is solidly on his shoulders. And he's not weighed down by that. As we think of all the governments of the world, as we think of all the political machinations, as we think of all the climate uh, conferences that are going on and all the work that has been done to try and, to use the phrase, save the planet, as we think of all these things, some of it's good and some of it's important and some of it's what God raises up leaders to do. We don't despise it. We pray for those in authority over us. But nonetheless, does this world not desperately know that it needs a better governor? Is there anyone that we can trust? Of course not. But here he is. The government will be upon his shoulder. All of Israel's hopes, all of everyone's hopes, centered on this child, a son who is human, born of a virgin, and yet born God with us. It is a glorious thing to see. His birth expected. Secondly, his title explained. Now let's think of this name given ahead of time to the Lord Jesus. The name Wonderful Counselor. It was never actually used as a name. It was rather an, an office that he was to fulfill. And along with the three other titles here we plan to look at together, this title points to the deity of the child who was to be born, to the fact that he is none other than Almighty God. We know that because Isaiah uses exactly the same phrase when speaking of God 
in Isaiah chapter 28. Just listen to this. He says, verse 29 of Isaiah 28, this also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. So almighty God, he is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. And now this one who was to come is going to come into the world to be born as a man, born of a virgin, God the man who will bring this wonderful counsel. This is such a comfort to us because life is so complex, isn't it? It's not unusual for us to be in circumstances where we try to work out a couple of potential courses of action we could take. And then as we sleep on it and get up the next day, we realize that both these, causes, both these courses of action might have overtones or might have side effects, might carry risks that we really don't want to see played out. And, we, and, and we're totally flummoxed. We're in a position where we say, what is the right thing to do? I can't think of anything that is clear-cut and straightforward that's not going to bring some further complexity to some degree. Our wisdom fails us. We're just not sufficient. But here is the build-up to the coming of the Lord Jesus. Utterly sufficient, flawless in understanding, wonderful in counsel, excellent in wisdom knowing the end from the beginning and willing to share his counsel with us. The phrase wonderful counselor literally means he is a wonder of a counselor for those who will listen to his word. I love the picture of the Lord as our counselor as painted in Psalm 32. You don't have to turn to it, but you may want to look at it now or later. Psalm 32 verse Eight, where the Lord says, I will instruct you. I'll teach you in the way you should go. Oh, what a reassurance that is. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. In other words, I'll counsel you as I see you, as I see where you are, as I see what you're facing, as I see what's coming down the pike, as I see all these things. I will counsel you with my eye Upon you. So do not be, verse 9, Psalm 32, verse 9, do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. But that's exactly what we're like. <laughs> exactly what we're like. Stubborn mule. I know best. Don't need God. Some days I'll read my Bible, but I don't need it today. Pretty clear on what I have to do. No great challenges today. Then bang. What an offer by the wonderful counselor that he would counsel us day by day, moment by moment, step by step. And the word wonderful is a really interesting one. I wonder, does anyone know the better known name for Edson Arantes do Nascimento? Any football fans recognize that? Pelly, yeah, well done, excellent, Pelly. Yeah, I think he also got a trial for the Aki's at one point, but very, very well-known Brazilian footballer. In 2000, Pelé was voted player of the century. He played 1,363 games, and in that number of games, he scored 1,279 goals. Not bad average. Recognized in the Guinness Book of Records as player of the century. Why am I talking about Pelé? 
Well, I read an article. Gary Brady explains that the Hebrew word here for wonderful, wonderful counselor, is Pele. Now, I don't know where the great Brazilian footballer got his nickname, but it gives us a picture of something wonderful when we think of Pele, doesn't it? He was, an, as someone has said, an inexplicable bundle of talent, a delight to watch for his supporters and the despair of his opponents in the football field. Now think of the wonder associated with Pele. Whether or not that's the reason for his name, I don't know. But the word in the Hebrew for wonderful is Pele. And the Lord Jesus, in that sense, is a vastly greater wonder. And he caused the same kind of astonishment when he came into the world. And he caused the same type of despair among his enemies. So let me close this morning by taking you to the third thing I want us to see, which is his counsel experienced. Let me take you to just a few examples from the New Testament about what it was like to actually hear Jesus and remind you of the impact that he made as we close. Let me remind you first of all of what happened in Luke chapter 2. The wonderful counselor was 12 years old by this stage. His parents were looking for him, Luke 2.46. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. He was 12. And he was talking with the most learned, experienced teachers in Israel. And they were astonished, amazed at his wonderful counsel. Think about the beginning of his ministry in Mark chapter 1. They went to Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. It must have been a real jab in the jaw for the scribes when that word got out. They were just very blah, blah, so predictable. What you heard every Sabbath when you went to the synagogue, same old, same old yada, yada. But when Jesus stood up, this man spoke with authority because he came from God, spoke with his authority and spoke directly into the hearts of the people that he knew. And they knew that that came with force and power into their lives. Nothing to do with shouting and bawling. Nothing to do with forcing his way onto them. His counsel was authoritative. And isn't that wonderful that millions across the world today will still hear the voice of the Lord Jesus, not audibly, but by the power of his word, they will still hear and know that authority today. Think about John chapter four, Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And off she goes and she says to the people of her town, he told me everything I ever did. And of course, everything she ever did is what she had covered up for the first part of the conversation. She would have talked about anything to Jesus other than everything she ever did, other than the state that her life was in. She hated it. She didn't want to go there. But there came a point where he did surgery on her life, when he opened up her heart, when he talked to her and showed her that he knew everything she'd ever done. And yet his love was for her. 
So he go, she goes and she says to her friends in the town, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. And the Samaritans came and they asked Jesus to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. And then they came and said to the women, and they said, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. Oh my goodness, that will transform your Christmas if that's your experience. You're in the midst of a group of people this morning. Many of us would say to you, if you don't know Christ, many of us would say, he knows everything I ever did. He knows all about me and still he loves me and still he gave his life for me and he'll do that for you. And you could know this Christmas what it is to be able to say, I've now heard him for myself. I've not just heard you talking about him. He's my wonderful counselor. John 4, 42, we have heard for ourselves and we know that this indeed is the savior of the world. Think about the dark times of John 6, the painful times. Verse 66, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? You're going to abandon me as well. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I think the implication there is when Simon Peter says that, he says, look, if, we, if there was an option, we probably would go. It's difficult being with you. Your gospel is tangential. It comes in at such an angle to the way that we normally live our lives without giving you a thought. It's very, very hard. And they were finding it hard in John chapter six. That's why many people turned away and ceased to follow him. And yet, Simon Peter said, no, we're going to stick with you because you are the one and you alone have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Listen to his enemies in John chapter 7. Those who were on the payroll. Those who were paid to go and arrest him. John 7, 43, there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? Why didn't you lift him when you got the chance? Why didn't you nick him when you had the opportunity? And the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. That's quite a moment, isn't it? You go with the official authority, you go mob-handed, you go as the police of the day, you go with weaponry, you go with uh, muscle, you go with the ability to lift him. And you come back without him and you're asked to give an account of yourself and your answer is we didn't touch him because no one ever spoke like this man. I just find that so absolutely astounding about our Savior, the Lord Jesus the wonderful counselor. I wanted us to see all these reactions to the wonderful counsel of the Lord Jesus today because he is still the wonderful counselor this Christmas. He alone is wiser than every teacher and every counselor on the planet, thankful though we are for them. He alone has the power to speak with the authority, completely unlike the run-of-the-mill teachers and advisors and counselors of the day. 
He alone knows everything about every single one of us. All the stuff we'd rather hide from each other and even from ourselves. He knows about it, yet he offers us living water that will satisfy us forever. He alone has the words of eternal life in a world of spiritual confusion and pluralism. He alone is the savior of the world. No one ever spoke like him. Still today, no one could ever speak in the way that the Lord Jesus speaks. And so the day came in Mark chapter 4 when he, Jesus heard that John had been arrested and withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Is it ringing a bell? So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, Galilee of the nations. That's how we know about it today in Hamilton. Because this light came, this joy came, not just to the people of Israel, but to the nations of the world through them. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. What a gift. God our Father has given you his son. He's given you this year a wonderful counselor. Will you meet him in his word? Will you take a little time if you're not in the habit of doing it this Christmas season? Will you make a little time every day and meet with him in his word and say, Lord, counsel me from your truth? Will you come around the meetings that are arranged here and listen to the preaching? Come tonight. Come next Sunday. Come and bring a Bible. Come and bring a notebook. Come and find a way of getting hold of this glorious counsel because all we're interested in doing is not telling you what we think. We're interested in hearing the voice of the mighty counselor, the wonderful counselor. We have a little course running beginning in January the 16th. We're going to have three nights to listen and sit at the feet of this wonderful counselor and see how life stacks up according to his view. We would love you to be part of that. Get hold of one of these little cards today. QR code in the back. Help you to register. We'd be thrilled to have you. That's how you connect today with this one who was the child to be born. The son who was given. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Let's pray together. Our gracious Father, we quieten ourselves now in your presence this morning. We thank you so much for this wonderful counselor who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We thank you so much for the indications we've had of the power of his ability to begin to break into life and show the remarkable ability he had to speak with authority, to speak with grace. Help us not to be like the horse or the mule that has to be bridled that it will not stay near you. Grant that we will draw near to you and find you drawing near to us. Grant that we will know that you would counsel us with your eye upon us, that you would instruct us in the way that we should. What a gift this Christmas. Some this morning in the midst of real heartache, real pressure, real darkness, real weight upon their shoulders. Oh, that we might know the power of this one who draws near and offers his counsel and lifts the burdens from the heavy laden. Grant that that will be our portion. And most of all, 
the burden of our sin lifted as we put our trust in the one who went on to give his life for us. Grant it for the power and the glory of his name we pray. Amen.